0: Hey guys, good morning. How are y'all? It's good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. I love when we're singing that word, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And we're in the book of Mark and we're talking about crucifixion today. And it occurred to me when we were singing that in the first service, that that was right before Jesus went to the cross. That they were laying down those palm branches and children and people were singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. As Jesus rode in on a donkey, right? And they were laying the palm branches down as he went to Jerusalem. And right before he went into Jerusalem, it says that he was with his disciples and it was almost like he was walking ahead of his disciples, resolute, it says in the scriptures, to get to Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem where he would die on a cross because he loved us so much. And I love that word, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save now now but see when those people were putting those palm branches down and saying hosanna hosanna save now they were saying god save now save now look at our circumstances god save us out of these circumstances save now but here's the deal he didn't save them the way they thought that he was going to save them he saved them through a cross and see so many of you here you might be here today and you're like god save me out of this circumstance Save me out of this place. I don't like where I am. I don't like who I am. God, save me. Hosanna, save now. And God's like, I did on the cross. I'm going to save you, not in the way that you think I'm going to save you, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. So we're in Mark today. And if you'll stand with me as we read God's word, we're going to be in Mark. This is the crucifixion. This is what it's all about. Hosanna, save now. The cross, the glorious, the wonderful cross of Christ. So let's read it. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. I want you to remember that. They offered him a cup of wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scriptures were fulfilled which said, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. See for them, that's the only way they can believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on our Lord and Savior Jesus. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema sabatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time that Jesus ever referred to his father as God. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah, Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar. We know from the other gospels, it was a sour wine that they gave to prolong the death of those that were on the cross and they offered it to him. This is the second drink on the cross and they offered to him, to Jesus to drink and we know in the other gospels, it touched his lips and he drank. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him, to take him down, he said with a loud cry. Jesus, breathed his last. You can be seated. So I have two kids at home. They're here, actually. They might be in this service. And my littlest one is Jason. He's seven. And then Ellie is my nine-year-old, which I I can't even believe I have to say that because she was just small and tiny before and now she's growing up. And and, and you who have daughters that are are growing up, man, I don't even want to face that. So console me after this message because I need it because she's growing up. But a couple years back, I don't know who got it for her, Mimi or Nana, but they got Jason, my youngest, these things called magic tracks. Have you heard of magic tracks? As seen on TV. How many of you are addicted to buying the things... I know I, everybody was kind of like they were kind of like right here, you know, but Jason was nuts about this He was begging for him. So he got him for Christmas And it was a typical way that boys play, you know It was like ramming it into everything and, and these magic tracks if you look at it This is what it looks like if, if Some of you might know what it, what it is It has a little button on the top and you push the button and it goes on the it's like And it goes on the tracks and so Jason was doing the typical boy stuff. You know, he's like throwing it off the couch, making the tracks in a round circle so they have to go. It's really a neat kind of thing. And so I could hear this for weeks at our house. Zzz, so whatever grandparent got it for him is one of those things that you're like, why don't you keep that at your house kind of toy? You know what I mean? And so we could hear this. Well, one time I got home and I was just one of those days, you know, when you plop on the couch and you want no communication, you're just kind of like. You're tired. You're dead to the world. And I was on the couch, and I hear that. I'm like, I hear this little zzzz, And I look up, and this little car is going out from the other couch. A track is going out, and it's going right up to my feet. And this little car is going up, and it's got a note stuck to the top of it. So thank goodness it didn't go under me, under the couch. And so I picked it up, and I pushed the little button to stop the wheels from going, and there was a note on top. So I took the note off, to, off the top of it and read it, and it was Ellie. Ellie had gotten hold of Jason's Magic Tracks, and it just said, Hey, Daddy, what's up? Write me back. You know, nothing, nothing crazy. So I write something, and I fold it back up, and I put it on the tape, and I turn the, the car, and I put, and you could see that going, and going all the way around from the couch, and I can hear a little giggling. I couldn't see Ellie, but I knew it was her from a writing. And I hear this, you know, like a little thing around there. And she writes something else, and here comes it. And this time, as I'm picking up, I'm looking at the note, and it's like, hey, what are we doing today? It was just, you know, kind of small talk. And so I wrote, I don't know, we'll see a movie, I don't know what what, what I put. But I could see at the corner of my eye, there was my little girl, and she was peeking around the couch, excited to see her daddy. How was daddy gonna respond? What's he gonna write? What's it going to be? What's he going to write back? And she was kind of giggling. And so I wrote back something and I put in and went back over there. But see, I tell you this because I think that's how our Father in heaven is. See, just like those magic tracks, the cross has made a way to our Father's throne room. The cross is made away. It's like those tracks to the feet of our Father in heaven where we have his glad welcome because of the blood of Jesus. And I think it's just like I was with my little girl that God loves when his kids, when his sons and daughters are praying, seeking his face, asking him, seeking him in his word. And he delights when his children are coming to him. And I think he's waiting for us to peek around the corner to see his reaction. And I'm loving her reaction. I think the Father is the same way with his kids. He loves when we come to the throne, but what I want to tell you is the cross is made the way for you to always go to the throne. Did you know you could access this every day? Well, I'm not worthy of that. The cross has made a way, and your Father in heaven wants you to come to him every single day. Every day you wake up, you have a chance to see glory. Not your glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, in the scriptures, it says something that I love. God is talking to his people and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you hear that? Well, that's the person next to me, that's not me, that's you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. See if you're like me, sometimes I look in the mirror, who'd want me? I know the darkness in me, I know the stuff that's there. I get get up every day, I put on my big boy clothes, but something feels a little off. Can anybody relate? It's sort of like the old Soundgarden song. I'm looking California, but I'm feeling Minnesota. You know what I mean? I'm tattered On the inside, I'm looking great on the outside. Nobody knows, but I'm dying on the inside. See, that's what makes this rescue story called the gospel so amazing. That's what makes it beautiful that God was rescuing us through Jesus, wanting you and me with an everlasting love. But here's the problem. You see, sin... It's a problem that separates us from God and each other. And something had to be done about sin. Your sin. My sin. And that was the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life. We call it in theology right standing. I have right standing when I know Jesus as Lord and Savior To have right standing, the justice of God, the justice of God. Our God is a God of justice, but it had to be satisfied. It took a sinless, spotless, perfect lamb for you and me to have right standing. See, Jesus has this beautiful title. I love it. The Lamb of God. In Revelation, when John hears the proclamation about Jesus coming onto the throne. It says, the conquering lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And when John looks up, he doesn't see a, a lion. He sees a lamb. And forever we'll look on those wounds and say, that's how much he loved me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a sacrifice that had to be made, a payment. And thousands of lambs before Jesus came were sacrificed to try to cover over guilt and sin, but it couldn't. You might look out on the outside, but they were still broken on the inside by sin. In other words... The penalty is death for our sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's a penalty for our sin. Someone has to die for justice to be served. God is a just God. And that was supposed to be us. That was supposed to be us. Not an innocent lamb. We deserve wrath, but God... But God gave his only begotten son in place of us. It's this word we call substitution, substitutionary atonement, that God sent Jesus in place of us as a substitute, that the wrath and justice of God would be poured out not on us, but on his only son to satisfy the penalty of sin. Listen, I don't know about your guilt and shame. I don't know about your condemnation. I don't know about the darkness of your heart. Mine's pretty dark. But here's the deal. Without Jesus, a thousand lambs, thousands upon thousands of lambs, could not cover my guilt of my sin. And some of you have weight of of sin upon your shoulders, and you're carrying it around. And nothing you do can change that. It took the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sin, your sin. All of us are guilty, but God placed on him the burden of our guilt, shame, and condemnation. Are you living in shame and condemnation? Because it was all placed on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was an animal. Whenever an animal was sacrificed, everybody laid hands on the animal, and that way the sins were passed to the animal, and then the animal was slain. It was very clear to everybody in the Old Testament time that the animal being slain was in their place. It was substitutionary atonement, but they had to keep doing it year after year after year as a way of paying the price necessary, and it never took away their guilt, shame, and condemnation. But they would wonder, I bet. Why in the world is this lamb being sacrificed? How in the world is this lamb being our sacrifice? How is this being our substitute? And of course, the New Testament answer is this. It was just a picture of the real substitute. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus was the sacrifice. Listen, you will not understand the love of God unless you see what he did for you as a substitute sacrifice. There are many that hate the idea of God who needs a payment. Why would God need a payment for our sins? We want a wishy-washy God of love, not the God of love of the Bible. We don't want a God who has wrath or has to have justice satisfied. They hate the idea of Jesus Christ having to come and take the wrath of God to be an atoning sacrifice. Listen. Suppose you deny the idea that you're so wicked that Jesus Christ had to come and pay the atoning sacrifice to reconcile you. If you deny that, you have emptied the cross of its value. You have made something that Christ did senseless and worthless. Listen, how do you know your value in God's eyes? How do you know the value of anything? It's what the person will will pay for it, right? Right? Whatever it is, your value, listen to this, your value is based on how much God would pay for you. And it was the most valuable thing to him, his only begotten son. You can't even put a price on it. You needed a substitute to satisfy the father's wrath. Justice must be served. Our God is a God of justice and he never perverts it. Jesus Christ alone can stand in a sinner's place and receive the punishment that that sinner deserves. If we don't trust him to satisfy God's justice for us, then we will have to endure the full brunt of the Father's wrath upon ourselves. That's what the Bible says. But God, but God made a way that we would not have to suffer wrath. I love it. Philip Yancey says it this way. At Calvary, on the hill on Golgotha, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice through Christ. See, here's what we, don't, we miss. His justice actually highlights his love. How deep his love is. The willingness for him to go so deep in love with us that he found a way to satisfy his justice to have you. John Piper says it this way, the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising The justice of God. Have you ever noticed that we always want justice for somebody else, not for ourselves? Let's be real. Because in the first service, they're like, yeah, that's right. Let's be real. We always want justice for somebody else, but not for ourselves. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said, if ever a person had room to complain of injustice, it was Jesus. He was the only innocent man, the sinless man ever to be punished by God. But he didn't complain. He was silent. He went silently on your behalf for you because he loves you and you're worth that. You're worth that to the Father and you're worth that to the Son. See, in that picture before, when they laid hands on the, the, the Lamb, did you see that in the picture? They were putting your sins on the Lamb. That's what Jesus did. Your sins went on to Him, but you got something too. Then they would place the righteousness, taking away the guilt on the other person. See, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God your sin was transferred on the Lamb of God. Let that sink in. I think we hear that. I think we hear that, and we don't really let it sink in. Your sin. Okay, not your sin. My sin. My sin was put on the Lamb of God. But here's what's cool. We also got something transferred onto us. His righteousness. A transaction occurred. Righteousness means right standing. I'm in right standing with God. I cannot be more right with God than the blood of Christ has made me. Justice has satisfied his wrath in my life. Will you have godly discipline? Yes. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. And because I have right standing, Romans declares... I no longer am under condemnation. Are you living in shame and condemnation? It was put on the cross. Your shame and condemnation. Let me tell you a story based on facts. Can you advance that slide this in Oregon? Under the old covenant, each head of household of Israel was required each year at Passover to bring one of their lambs to the priest in Jerusalem as a sacrifice to atone for their sins. Thousands of lambs were sacrificed in the city each year. So a man would go into his flock and select a lamb that probably looked like this and kept it pinned up for four days to examine it for flaws. Only the best lambs were sacrificed. This man living far out would then head for the city. And for some, it was a long, long journey. Picture that man. Picture yourself. The man leading his little lamb came ultimately to the outskirts of Jerusalem where for the first time he saw the teeming crowds of people gathered there for Passover. Immediately he becomes self-aware. Aware of his physical condition after traveling so far. He notices his clothing is threadbare and dirty, his body unbathed and unkept. The thought crosses his mind I hope no one notices how I look, because frankly, I'm a mess. Oh, well, nothing I can do about it now. I'll just have to press on and hope no one notices. Can you imagine the man thinking such thoughts as he's headed for the holy temple, leading his lamb? I can. I probably would have thought the same thing had I been him. But his worry is misplaced, See. The truth is no one will pay the slightest attention to him. Why? Because all eyes are on the lamb. Everyone, including the priest, will be looking at the lamb, not the man. The lamb is the whole point of the exercise, not the man. He then hands that little lamb over to the priest, and the priest pins it up for four days to examine it again for flaws. Only perfect lambs are sacrificed. See, the priest examines the lamb, not the man. At the end of four days, the priest makes the pronouncement, I find no fault in it. Not only Pontius Pilate, but all of heaven has said that about your lamb and my lamb. I find no fault in Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, sinless, spotless, pure, holy, Never sinned. First Peter 1 says this, We are not redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Listen, you may be full of condemnation. You may be full of shame. But here's the deal. It isn't and never has been about us. It's all about Him. All eyes are still on the Lamb. If His sacrifice was good enough... He's still good enough now. It isn't and never has been about us. Listen, if you're in sin or condemnation, come out of it. Repent. Don't wallow in it. Eyes off of you. Eyes on the lamb. Who are your eyes on? Some of you might again say, well, I'm not worthy. That's the point. He is worthy. You see, I look in the mirror just like you. And sometimes all I see is my failures, like that man on that journey, worn and tattered. I look on the inside, the outside. It's all looking pretty bad. I don't always feel like I have right standing. I don't always act like I have right standing. I often can feel condemned when I look at me, when my eyes are on me. Do you hear the problem with that? There's me, me, me. And when I do that in my own strength, I fail more. But the more I look at Jesus and the less I look at me, I begin to walk in his righteousness. Righteousness was transferred upon me. I want to read something to you that I've loved for years. It's from a Max Lucato book called He Chose Nails. You may have heard this before. Remember those two drinks in our passage in Mark? Wine mixed with myrrh and the sponge soaked with sour wine? Let me read this to you. Max Lucado. This is the final act of Jesus' life. Lips cracked and mouth full of cotton. Throat so dry he couldn't swallow and voice so hoarse he could scarcely speak. He is thirsty. To find the last time moisture touched these lips, you need to rewind dozens of hours to a meal in an upper room. Since tasting that cup of wine, Jesus has been beaten, spat upon, bruised, and cut. He has been a cross carrier and a sin bearer. And no liquid has salved his throat. He is thirsty. Why doesn't he do something about it, couldn't he? Did he not cause jugs of water to be jugs of wine? Did he not make a wall out of the Jordan River and two walls out of the Red Sea? Didn't he with one word banish the rain and calm the waves? Doesn't Scripture say that he turned the desert into pools and the hard rock into springs? Did not God say, I will pour water on him who is thirsty? If so, why does Jesus endure thirst? They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. You see, before there was ever a nail that was pounded into his precious hands and feet, a drink was offered. Mark says the wine was mixed with myrrh. Matthew describes it as wine mixed with myrrh and gall. Birth, myrrh, and gall contain sedative properties that numb the senses. A narcotic drink used by the Romans, it was their recreational drugs. They felt a little pity, so they were going to offer it to Jesus it was drugs but jesus refused them he refused to be stupefied by what drugs could offer him opting to feel the full first force of suffering why why did he endure all those feelings because he knew you would feel them too he knew you would be weary disturbed and angry He knew you'd be sleepy, grief-stricken, and hungry. He knew you'd face pain. If not the pain of the body, the pain of the soul, pain too sharp for any drug, He knew you would face thirst and bitterness. If not a thirst for water, then a thirst for truth. And the truth we glean is from a thirsty Christ is He understands. And because He understands, we can come to Him. See, the wine mixed with myrrh was designed to dull Jesus' pain, to keep him from having to endure the cross with full consciousness. That was the wine he refused because he had to do it for you. But there was a second drink of sour wine on a sponge. This wine he drank, it was bitter. Why did he take this other one? The second sour wine was given to him to keep him conscious for as long as possible and thus having the effect of prolonging his pain. Do you understand what our Savior did for you? He denied one drink to take the full penalty and wrath of God for you, and he took another one to prolong his death for the penalty of your sins. That's how much he loved you. Other condemned criminals would have taken the first to ease their torment and passed on the second so as not to prolong their horrific pain. But Jesus takes no shortcuts on the way of our redemption. Are we a people full of shortcuts of the easy way out? God knew that. So he died on a cross taking no shortcuts for you. Jesus said no to what we couldn't say no to. He said yes to what we couldn't endure on the cross. He said to know that the things that are addictions to us The bitterness of soul, the circumstances, the problems in life. He knew you would be wrecked with these things. He knew you would give in to these things. And he said yes to the punishment we deserved. He took no shortcuts. Only Christ can truly free you. Stop looking at yourself and look to the Lamb, to Jesus. Sin no longer has to be your master if you know Jesus And he had to feel the full force and weight of your sin and my sin because he had to carry and satisfy the justice and wrath of God so his wrath would not be carried out on you. I want you to close your eyes just for a second as I read this. Jesus Christ carried all your guilt, all your unworthiness, All your sin, all your mistakes, all your sickness, all your condemnation. He carried it all on the cross. And it's the cross that will free you from all sin. All eyes on the Lamb. You have His glad welcome to come to His throne. Those magic tracks are the cross. The cross always gives you the glad welcome to come to your Father in heaven. He will not turn you away. Jesus made away all eyes on the lamb of god who takes away my sin will you watch this video God my god why have you forsaken me Finished. That's what he said on the cross. Finished. It's a legal term. It means paid in full. Your mistakes, your failures, your sin was paid in full on the cross of Jesus Christ. There are no exceptions. You are not the exception to the blood of the Lamb. You are worth that much. That all your sin, all your regrets, all your condemnation... All your failures and the penalty of those will be put on the cross of Jesus. The debt has been paid for your sins, past, present, and future. He didn't just die for your sins, but to set you free from sin. It can be lifted off your shoulders right now. You're carrying it. What do I do with this thing? You can be forgiven. God forgives His justice has been satisfied, but you must repent and accept it and say, Lord, save me. Come into my life. I need you. I accept what you did on the cross. If that's you this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus right now. There's no waiting. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what five minutes brings. If you don't know Jesus today, that's what he did for you. And he did it because he loved you. He did it because he loved you. So every eye closed, every head bowed. If you don't know Jesus today, I just want to give you this opportunity. Just say, Lord Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. Give me new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're a believer and you're walking around in sin and condemnation and the devil is at you, it's all on the cross. It's always been about the cross. It's not about you. It's not about your failures. All eyes on the lamb. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus, even in eternity, if that's you. Accept what he did. Go back and say, Lord. You said no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, he is able to free you. He is your freedom. Let me pray. Lord God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are our king and our Lord, and it's all about you. It's not about us. It's not about our circumstances. You want our eyes on you, not on ourselves, not on our failures, not on the people next to us, not on the future, not on our fears. Lord, you've set us free. Forgive us of looking at ourselves. Help us to look to the Lamb of God and your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If today you need prayer, come back to Next Steps. If today you want to give your life to Christ and you haven't done that yet and you know you should have prayed that prayer, but you didn't, come back to Next Steps as we continue to worship. Will you stand on your feet? You can come and pray anytime we're worshiping, anytime we're singing. Slip out, come to Next Steps. Let us pray.